This is the Find Your Forte Podcast, Episode 54. You have the passion. You have the education. Now it's time for the inspiration. Get ready to step up to the podium with purpose. This is the Find Your Forte Podcast with Coral Director and Lifestyle Entrepreneur, Ryan Guth. Hey there, Choir Nation. This is Ryan Guth with the Find Your Forte podcast, bringing you today an episode with Malcolm Gilbert. He is a choral director in the ninth grade school uh, in Massapequa on Long Island, New York. He has some wonderful things to share with you today about reading music contextually and not note by note, or reading the music and not the notes. Uh, But before we get into that, want to let you know that that he and I connected through the Choir Nation Facebook group, uh, it, which is a wonderful, positive meeting place for choral professionals, especially in public and private school. So you can join us by requesting access at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Choir Nation, and you may find yourself on the Find Your Forte podcast one day because I think you're so cool. Also, want to let you know that Malcolm in this episode offers a resource. Um, It is a pattern sheet that he uses with his kids. Uh, I will deliver that to you digitally if you become a member of my Patreon campaign, which is patreon.com forward slash find your forte. And you can give as little as one to two dollars per episode. And for that, I will deliver any resources that are spoken about on the show directly to you for being a supporter of the Find Your Forte podcast. So if you want to pick up the pattern sheet that is mentioned later on in this episode, go ahead over there to patreon.com forward slash find your forte. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. So patreon.com forward slash find your forte and you get all the free stuff and uh, I'll think you're really cool and we'll connect and sing Kumbaya and it'll be great. So let's get into today's interview with Malcolm Gilbert. Okay, Malcolm, Choir Nation is ready. They're at the edge of their chairs, folders open, and looking your way. Are you ready to deliver the downbeat? I am. All right, Malcolm, thank you for being my guest on the Find Your Forte podcast. And uh, I just want to ask a, a very simple question. If I met you at a cocktail hour and I, say, and I said, what do you do? What would you tell me? I bring beauty to the world by teaching my kids choral music. Awesome. So you teach your kids choral music in Massapequa Township County. What is that? Uh, it's a village. Uh, a lily, white, middle class uh, district on the south shore of Long Island. And it's a village. So do you guys, do you guys churn butter once or twice? Oh, all the time. Okay. Sure. Okay. Good. <laughs> sure. Very good. Um, so you teach in the high school level, then, right? Yes, it's actually just a ninth grade center. We have just ninth grade in one building. It's a it's a country club. Oh wow, that so you have one choral ensemble there, or that's it. Wow. Okay. So what else do you do the rest of the day? I just uh, have small group lessons. I have one rehearsal a day where I meet my entire group all at once. And then the rest of my week is filled with uh, small group lessons. That sounds awesome. Is that like an ivory tower situation or what? It, it really is. It's a, it's a great community. There's been you know, decades of support for this music program. Uh, I have just this ninth grade choir in a ninth grade only building. Uh, it's about as good as it could get, sure. 
So what are the advantages and disadvantages to being in a situation like that? The advantages are you don't have those issues of, of older kids and younger kids all in the same building and, and all that goes with that. The disadvantage is just about the time you're getting attached to these students, it's not that they're just moving on to another grade level. They're moving out of the building. And as it turns out, the, uh, the main campus of the high school where they have grades 10 through 12 is you know, all the way across town. So there's not a lot of... Uh, back and forth between those buildings. So do you get attached to these kids after a year and then have to give them all, you know, hand them off and, and all that sort of stuff? I do, but I, I send them off to really good teachers, so I'm comfortable with that. And, and I know I have a, another good crop coming the next September, so uh, it keeps everything fresh, I guess. So you have a really important job to feed these kids the tools they need to be successful in high school. And, and beyond, I hope. Of course. Well, absolutely. Of course. But now, do you have a, a lot of communication with the, the 10th through 12th grade directors? I do. We're, we're close friends, and we, uh, we talk as much as we need to. Uh, we've all been here for over 15 years, so we're you know, well acquainted with how we all fit into the general scope of things. Gotcha. Okay. Well, let, real quick, just jumping back into some very brief biography, and I, I don't want to take too much time because we have a lot of great things to talk about, but um, when did you realize that this is something you wanted to do for a living? Well, I, I made that decision before that decision could be made. Uh, I remember being a kid and being at a solo festival as a kid, and uh, one of my older sister's classmates, uh, this is back in the day when at the end of the solo festival, your your scores would be posted on a giant board, uh, you know, completely different from the participation trophy age that, that we're in now. You would, if you did poorly, it went up there. And if you did really well, it went up there. Well, one of my, uh, one of my older sister's classmates was standing there at the board when his uh, level six A plus was posted on the board. And I just remember him pumping his fist and being so fired up about it. I think I was an eighth grader at the time. And I said at that point, I said, okay, if I ever get that 6A+, then I will go to school for music. And I got the A+, so there, there was nowhere else to go. I had to do it. I got you. Okay, so this is a NISMA competition, yeah? Yes. Okay. Now, for those of you in Choir Nation who don't know what NISMA is, that's the, that is the Music Education Association of the state of New York. So um, they have um, some standardized competitions uh, throughout the year, yes, for all the different solo levels and sure. instruments the, and voices and everything, right? All spring, yes. Okay. So, so they, have, they have a manual um, that has all the, all the pieces in it that you're allowed to sing or play or whatever. And it's a really wonderful resource for those of you in Choir Nation that are looking for... Uh, a guide for what pieces should I sing? Uh, I'm looking, or somebody who posts on Facebook regularly and says, "Give me, give me three SSA, you know, pieces for middle school choir." Well, if you just go by the NISMA manual, uh, you can actually just flip to the three-part treble section, and there's a whole list of suggested pieces uh, for you right there, and they're usually very high quality. Am I right? Oh, sure. Just as a repertoire list, it's, it's invaluable. Absolutely. So I, I have a copy of this manual from like 2004 or something when I was in college, but um, I'm, they update it regularly. 
like every year, right? Every three years. I every believe. three years. Okay, so so you could probably go on Amazon and grab a copy of the NISMA manual. That's N Y S S M A. That's correct. Yeah, NISMA N Y S S M A manual, um, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes for today's episode, which is ryanguth.com forward slash zero five four. If you want to pick up a copy of the NISMA manual, I'll put a link there where you can grab it. So. Um, at that point, uh, you you decided to be a member of the music education community, right? You sure, went to school for music ed, and of course that was that was my fallback plan at the time. I I said if if I can't be a a live performer, if I can't be a professional performer, I'll be a teacher. That was my fallback at the time. It didn't work out that way. I I I'm really happy to be a teacher rather than a performer. Got you. Well, it's a little bit more stable career, huh? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, you know, it all comes down to values, Choir Nation, right? If you if you have if you have a, a certain set of values that that requires stability in your life, music education makes a lot of sense. But uh, if you're looking to be out there and hustling and pounding the pavement, then performing is probably for you. But it's not for everyone. The um, the failure moment in your career. Uh, did you have one prepared for us? Well, here's the thing. I, I don't. I don't really believe in it. Uh, I, I don't believe in failure. Um, I'm, I'm, I used to be a uh, competitive bodybuilder in college, and I've been a, a weightlifter for 25 plus years now. So, as a bodybuilder, uh, I think of failure being a good thing. Failure is the thing that allows your body to adapt and grow and get better. And I, I really think that in all facets of my life. So the only real failure is when you quit something that you were never able to succeed at. Otherwise, it's all just a cyclical thing. You go through your ups and downs. You, you don't get some things done. But that doesn't mean that they're not going to get done. It's just that you haven't succeeded yet. That's how I feel about failure. So there's this quote that I like called, um, that goes, there's no such thing as failure, only feedback. Now with that quote and, and sort of to play devil's advocate to what you're saying, um, maybe you failed because that's feedback that you should not continue with that particular thing. Cause it maybe doesn't align with, uh, some particular values in your life, or maybe it's just a really terrible idea. What do you think about that? There are those, but I think I, I think so often you learn the most from your terrible ideas. So the fact that you went through that process in the big picture is a success. It allowed you to grow. So we look at all all endeavors as learning experiences. Oh, absolutely. There we go. Good. I want to make sure we could round that one out a little bit. Um, what is a highlight of your uh, musical career so far? I, I get them all the time. Any time that my kids can be autonomous, any time that music can happen without me is is the best. Uh, case in point, a couple of weeks ago, I was I was out of the building for a meeting, and I had a sub in my classroom, and I knew I was going to get there for the last ten minutes or so. So I I left the kids a hymn. And I told the sub, uh, absolutely, under no circumstances can you help the students whatsoever. It's, it's on them. So they walk in, and there's a, a hymn for them to learn. And I walked into the 
the classroom, I don't know, 25 minutes into the period, which was more time than they needed, and walked straight into the classroom and laid down a tonic chord and counted them off, and bam, they sing the hymn almost flawlessly. And that, to me, is just everything. That's fantastic. That is a one of those overarching goals that we all have for for our groups, which is to uh, you know to take the to relieve some of the pressure from us as teachers and trans, transfer those tools that we need the kids to to take themselves and build it on their own. So uh, it sounds like that's exactly what they did, and it's a really good uh, transition into what. Uh, we we really want to talk about in the meat of this interview, uh, which is one of the reasons why you contacted me um, to to come on the show, which which was about sort of zooming out uh, when you are reading music for the first time and looking at the notes contextually and not note by note. Could you could you give us a, a little bit of a a preface to uh, this discussion that I'm sure is going to ensue very soon? Well, I, I like to call the whole thing uh, reading the music, not the notes. Uh, we have this obsession with trying to read music, getting from one note to the next to the next. And it, it calls the picture in mind of that, uh, that first grader sitting down to read a book and sounding the book out. And you have no idea what they're reading, and they have no idea what they're reading. And our, our students tend to do the same thing with music. Yet when we when we build a vocabulary, when we, you know, if you can sing that tonic and dominant chord outline without thinking about it, then it comes up in the music and you just sing it, and it's real music rather than notes. That that's base, the the basic concept of the whole thing. So how do you go about beginning this process with your students? Like what do uh, they well what do they come in with first of all, and then how do you begin this process? I'm in a real good spot where uh, the kids come in with a functional understanding of solfege. Uh, they have a functional understanding of, of music scores. But again, to relate it back to the reading of text, I feel like they come in with solid phonics. And then I feel that it's my job to take those phonics and give them a sight vocabulary. Uh, when, we, when we learn our own language we tend to learn to speak it first. So we have this huge vocabulary that we can, we can go to. We know how to speak the language, and then eventually you learn to read the language. But you're reading vocabulary you're already familiar with. When it comes to music, we don't always do it that way. What we want to do is, is do it all at once. We want to do the same thing, unfortunately, when we're, when we're learning foreign languages in school. We want to do it all, all at once, read it, speak it, uh, all at once. It doesn't work. So what I want to do is give the kids uh, vocabulary, that these are patterns that will come up in music over and over again. And the more adept we are at reading patterns, the less we have to look at individual notes. So essentially what you're trying to do is, is, is hack sight singing. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So what are the tools that you use to do that? It all starts off with the basic concept of the idea that, that kids have to relax. When, 
we all know that uh, you've got this aria you're singing and there's this high note coming up and, and you're not positive about this high note. What you can be positive of in that situation is that high note's not going to be very good. The same thing comes from reading. If you think that you're going to sing wrong notes, you will. So the first thing that we've got to relax, we've got to be able to activate the right part of our brain. When we get up tight, we, we worry about dangers. We worry about being made fun of for making mistakes or our own self-loathing that we didn't get a line right. The very first thing that we have to do is we just have to take a deep breath and relax. And then the next thing that has to happen is I, I like you use the term zoom out there. Wait, can we, I pause for one second? Sure. Just to stem off this relaxed thing, I'm sure this takes a little bit longer than than just telling your choir to relax, right? <laughs> so you have to create a safe environment for them. Absolutely. So delve into that a little bit and then we'll move on. Okay. One of the most important decisions I ever made as a teacher is, you know, I discussed these small group lessons that I have. Well, I actually let the kids choose their own lesson groups. So I'll tell, I'll give them a number. I'll say, okay, I need six soprano groups of six, six each. And the kids will select their own groups. And now they're in lesson groups with their friends. And you know, I'm dealing with 14-year-old kids who obviously can be nasty. That they they have that in them. So I'm giving them a safe place where they feel like they can make mistakes in front of their friends. And yeah, maybe there'll be a little harmless joking about it, but there won't be venom. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure, sure. And then once they get into that idea in the smaller groups, I feel like that theory permeates my big group and it becomes okay to make mistakes. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a ton of sense. So so they're allowed to be wrong and they feel comfortable being wrong because um I mean you've you've st- essentially started you've started uh, in the small groups, you've made them feel comfortable there. They have this core of of support already. Uh, in those small groups, and that when they get into the bigger group, at least it's it's a more familiar. It becomes a more familiar place for them. Sure. So, is there any um, particular type of tactic or or speech that you give in a in a large group setting to remind them that it's okay to make mistakes and all that sort of stuff? Oh, all. All the time. Uh, I, I think it's essential. And, and we talk about the whole atmosphere of what a choir is, that, that we're a team and we're all working together. And you have to have, you have, to have empathy in a choir. Uh, that, that's our business. I, I tell the kids that our, our, our main job is to take a composer's feelings and allow an audience to have empathy for the composer. And that's what we do. And if we talk about empathy and, and teach it overtly enough, then it becomes a, a built-in skill that, you know, this person just made a mistake in front of 90 other people. If I'm going to make fun of them for, for that, well, how would that make me feel? Right. And that's not going to be okay. Agreed. 
Agreed. Well, that's lovely. Um, okay, so that's your first step is is uh, creating that you know as you said relax and create that safe that safe place. Um, which, God Almighty, the the ability to fail is something, or the I should I should say permission to fail is something that they're probably only getting in your classroom. Unfortunately, you know, with with yeah. uh, the standardized tests that I know we're coming down the pike. See, in New Jersey, it's the Park Assessment. Sure. Um, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm sure New, Jer- you know, New York has its own things, but, but there's this emphasis now on it's not okay to be wrong. And it's like, it's not okay to be, and it's not even, so you have, a, and it's, a, it's totally objective now. You have like, you're either right or you're wrong. It's black or white. And choir is one of the only places uh, in the school building where, where, you know, we operate in gray and shades of gray and, sure. and we're not, and we're not uh, discouraging children that are, that are wrong. We're not penalizing kids that are wrong. It's one of the only places where that's, where that's happening in school, which is why Choir Nation, your job is so insanely important. Um, so I'm sure you concur. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I know that every time I've, I've tried to make an arrangement of anything, and, you know, my hands didn't fall in the right place on the piano. It was always the mistake that was the best note. It, it always was. So mm-hmm. why not encourage that mistake? Absolutely. So let's, let's move on to step two. Step one is relax. Step two is what? Again, you've got to keep your eyes ahead of your voice. Uh, the analogy I like to use is, okay, guys, you're going to leave my classroom and you're going to go on to your next class. And in the hallways are going to be six, uh, 600 other students trying to get to their class. So what if you leave my class going to your next one, looking at where you are the whole time? And they say, well, I'd be looking right down at my feet. I'd bump into everything. And I say, well, that's great. So if you can't get to the next place looking at where you are, and what you really need to do is look at where you're about to be, how do you think you're going to get the next note right or the next group of notes right if you're trying to look at the one you're singing while not preparing for what's coming down the road? So your eyes have to always be ahead of your voice so you can detect patterns. I totally agree. I totally agree. It's so funny. I, I, I always tell my kids to, to, to think in snapshots, like look at a measure and, sure. and take a snapshot of it. Then look at the next measure. Take a snapshot. So you're not reading note, note, note. You're you're reading well, like contextually. Is that like exactly like your whole your whole theory here? Absolutely. So, the, so this is really the core of of your of your philosophy. Sure, sure. You can't tell the patterns there if you're looking at notes. So I will I will say over and over and over to the uh, to them. Don't try to sit there and determine what the notes are. Instead. Think about what the music is doing. Mm-hmm. And then you see, oh, oh, that's just a scale, of, of course, or that's just a, that's just a one chord up and down. I, I, I've got it. But you have to zoom out to be able to do that. Now, I'm sure this, this changes with the style of music that you're performing, right? There's a predictability factor that you're going to have in a handled piece of course. You know, versus, versus you know, a more contemporary composer. Of course. So the, the, the thought of mine is you have, you have rehearsal time to go over the surprises. 
And when there is predictable, uh, predictability in the music, what you want is for the kids to be able to do that part autonomously. And then you point out, oh, well, look, this one, it, it, you know, it, it's sequential here, but here they've changed the sequence. Let's go over that spot. Mm-hmm. Got you. That makes, that makes sense. So you're, you're, you're not going to spend time on that easily repeatable type of stuff. So it's like when you're, when you're analyzing a piece, I mean, this is just sort of the basics of, of being a good choir director is, is, um, you know, if it's, if, if a piece is ABA, for example, teach the A section, you don't need to teach it twice. You only need to teach it once and then focus on that, focus on the B because that's going to be the thing that's different. Sure. Or whatever. I miss mean, that's kind of a crappy analogy, but but I get what I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. So you're going to teach the surprise, you know, teach the surprises, and so you don't need to spend as much time on um, on the things that are that are going to come more easily because they're based on patterns. Sure. Got you. Okay. What's next? The next thing is to build these uh, build these patterns up so they become ingrained. So a couple of things that I do is I, I have these pattern sheets and the, the first time that the kids see the pattern sheets, their jaws drop. They're, they're, they're terrified because it's just 16th notes all over the place. But then when they study it a little more closely, they realize that they're just all five note scales and little you know one chord patterns all over the page. And they just run through these pattern sheets over and over and over again until these patterns are ingrained and they can sing them without thinking about them anymore. Mm-hmm. Just like you would with your you know, sight vocabulary for language. Later, I'll add in the, the five chord and I'll add in the four chord and I'll add in some uh, easier fourths and fifths. So they're seeing these things over and over and over again becomes part of their vocabulary. Oh, very interesting. So, so you're going to start rehearsal with going over these patterns. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, all of our all of our vocalises at the beginning of a rehearsal, they're all done on solfege. So it becomes just a, a connection, a, a sight to sound and sound to sight connection that we strengthen more and more throughout the year. Okay. What's next after that? The next thing is more of the empowerment thing. So I point out the fact that if they're taking a multiple choice test and there's only one way to get a multiple choice question absolutely wrong and the only way to do it is to leave one blank. So they don't do that. If if they don't know an answer inevitably they fill in a bubble and they go with it. Mm-hmm. I point out the fact that music reading is the same way. The next note can only be so many things. So what do you do when you don't know a note? You guess. And if you guess something that makes sense contextually, most of the time you're going to guess right. And again, with the, with the empowerment of being able to make a mistake and it being okay, they will guess and if they're willing to guess, you know what? Music generally makes sense. They're going to guess correctly more often than they don't. That's you're blowing my mind right now because I've like thought all these things, but you're saying them in like ways that I don't know how to say them. And I've like I feel like this is how my brain works when I when I sing. I think I do this exact thing, 
but I've never been able to state it as, as, as nicely as you do. Um, that's wonderful. This is wonderful. Okay. What, what, what else, what else are we doing after that? The the next thing is, wait, 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 actually stop for one second. We, we have to, we have to just acknowledge that like the thing that you said, I have to bring this back because it's, it's so much better to guess and be wrong. Like then to have a choir that's scared out of their mind that doesn't even try to guess. Sure, like, sure. I want my kids to listen to this episode because because this is this is so so important to drive home is is that that exact analogy. Choir nation, go back to your choirs and say exactly what Malcolm just said, which is on a multiple choice question. If you want to feel real terrible about yourself, then you could just leave it blank altogether and you've done nothing. You've done absolutely nothing to even try to get that to get that right. If you really don't know the answer and you leave it blank, then you know, you're 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 not even giving it a shot. You're not even giving you you have no possible way to even get that question right if you don't if you do not choose one A, B, C, or D. And that that is failure. Right. That's actually just giving up completely. Yeah, absolutely. That's giving up completely. I mean, because you, you're going to come into the test with some basis of knowledge that you can draw upon in order to be, uh, to, to at least take a guess. So absolutely. I think that's the most valuable thing I've heard, I've heard yet is, is, is that analogy. I think it's a great analogy. Okay, keep going. Uh, the next thing is that I don't, I don't grade anything. Uh, everything here is done through self-assessment. So if, if I'm always the one giving all the feedback, then the students never think about what it is they've done. So any grade that comes from a, a little sight reading example at the beginning of a rehearsal or even a quarterly test at the end of, a, at, at the end of it all, the students assess everything. And I think self-assessment is essential to building autonomy in the students. And they're going to be a hell of a lot harder on themselves than you would be on them, most likely. Almost always. Right. Almost always. Sure. I, I, I've always had those moments where I'm, where I'm like, what would you give yourself on this hearing of this piece? <laughs> and they're like, oh, God, like a four out of 10. I'm like, geez, sure. wow, that would give you a 40%. Do you really want that? They're like, oh, I guess I don't. But I'm like, are you being honest with me? You're like, yeah, it was actually that bad. And I'm like, wow, that's crazy. Like, you're going to give yourself a 40%. That's 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 tough, you know, and uh, again, a lot tougher than I would be on them. But it uh, right, but it gives them that sense of like they're never wondering how they do in your class either. You probably have very few parent phone calls, uh, almost none. Right, exactly. So this is, you know, you are doing things to to hack not only your sight reading, but hack your your efficiency as a teacher as well because you're not getting bogged down with parents who are wondering what their child is getting in your class or complaining about a grade and, and things like that. Um, which is, again, a philosophy that, I've, that I use as well. And I'm glad that there's somebody else out there in the choir world that does the same thing as I do because I am lazy as hell when it, gets, yeah. when it, when it comes to grading. But I think one of the best advantages to being lazy as hell is that it, it, it puts the onus on the kids to to be you know to be uh, um, self um, aware, sure, and 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 stuff. So I mean, it's yeah. In one hand, it sounds like a really terrible excuse. 
uh, um, to just not grade. <laughs> but on the other hand, it's a really oh, good it's, idea. <laughs> it, it's very, uh, I find it very healthy too. Uh, you know, the, the process of grading is, is such a negative thing. You're thinking, okay, what did this kid do wrong and how do I reflect that in a number? It's such a negative thing. And I said, you know, I don't want this in my life. I don't want that negative aspect in my life. So why don't I put that on the kids and then I don't have to do it? Yeah, totally. That's great. Okay, keep going. Uh, the, the next thing How many is, more are we at? How many more of these points do, are, do we have? Well, I, I think we're we're done with these points except for okay what we have to be able to do now is is read with confidence and you know there's there's one thing to read with the idea that mistakes are going to be okay and then it's another thing to read where you're actually confident that you're going to be right and i think the only way to accomplish that is you have to create harmony you have to create harmony so Students have to read, but they also have to hold that part against something else. So, you know, we'll start with duets. And, uh, you know, right now toward the, the end of the school year, uh, when the kids walk into lessons, there's a, a short chorale sitting on the piano. Mm-hmm. And whoever shows up has to, you know, pick a part. And if there are four kids here, then they each get their own. And... I sit at my desk and observe, and they put a corral together. And now they have to not only recognize what their line is, but how their line fits with others, which is the bigger picture. Uh, and if you don't create that, just an isolated line of music is, is not really worthy of the, you know, the magic of the, the choral art. It's how those lines fit together that is everything. Yeah. So that's the next step, and and really the final one in in terms of being a good reader. Malcolm, I think what you're doing is fantastic. Uh, I'm glad to have you as part of Choir Nation, and uh, I really appreciate you being my guest today on the Find Your Forte podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So, Malcolm, where can where can Choir Nation um, connect with you online? Well, certainly uh, Facebook. I, I spend too much time on there. Uh, I, I do have a, a Twitter handle at Mal Gilbert. At Mal Gilbert, M-A-L? Yes, M-A-L, yes. Okay, Mal Gilbert on Twitter. And uh, I'm going to put the social links and, um, and you know, Malcolm, do you have an email address that you would disclose? Sure, that would be Malcolm Gilbert, M-A-L-C-O-L-M, Gilbert, 123 at gmail.com. Great, so I will put all of those those links on Malcolm's show notes, again, which is ryanguth.com forward slash 054 for episode 54 of the Find Your Forte podcast. So, Malcolm, thank you so much for being my guest today. And uh, you have certainly helped Choir Nation to step up to their podium with purpose. So thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you for listening to Find Your Forte with Ryan Guth. As always, join Ryan online at www.ryanguth.com for detailed show notes and discussions on every episode. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. Until next time, be amazing.